Alright, we are going. Welcome everybody to Moadon Ivri Club Hebrew. And we are on Psalm 32 today. Uh, last week we got through verse 5, kind of the first half of the psalm. Um, notice that we stopped at that cella, which can indicate a lot of things. Who, you know, no one's ever quite sure what that means, whether it's a musical interlude or a uh, silence stop, some kind of a highlight. Uh, but uh, let me go back. <coughs> to uh, verse 5 to get us a running start at the second part of the, of the psalm. Um, so verse 5, um, I mean, if you guys will remember, uh, in verses 3 and 4, he is describing something that's happening to him in very physical terms. We, had, we interpreted that word in verse 3, I was silent, to mean I didn't confess my sin or maybe admit it either to myself or God or you know. No, so notice we're giving the the uh, verse a particular interpretation of his feeling of something happening to him because of unconfessed sin and feeling unforgiven. So notice how we translate uh, or understand verse three as as him physically having manifestations of, as, as to what's happening and attributing that to the hand of Yahweh pressing down on him. So it's kind of an interesting description. And so notice in verse 5, if uh, we read verses 3 and 4 that way, verse 5 is kind of like uh, almost an uh, idea, a kind of a light bulb went on in his head, probably put there by the Holy Spirit. Um, so you lead with chatati, my sin, I will make known to you. See, so notice I'm reading verse 5 as something he is, has resolved to do. Okay? Um, so my sin I will make known to you, and my avoni, my iniquity, not will I hide. All right? Now notice how amarti goes with both halves of this verse. Uh, it's kind of like a hinge, I suppose, where the first line, so you could almost add onto the end, I will not hide amarti, I thought. All right? Now it continues by... Uh, stating it in uh, a little different terms, I will confess concerning my transgression to Yahweh. Alright? And you forgave the avon chatati. You, you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Um, notice the, and we noticed a couple of things last week about that line. The pronoun is not, quotes, grammatically necessary, but it probably now indicates uh, a you... You know, as for you, you forgave it. And so, um, notice what's implied here is what he said in verse 1, the blessed, blessedness of being forgiven. It's like we can already kind of connect the dots, a weight being lifted. It's like something that feels like healing, see? And that's why he's so expressive about it in verse 1. Alright, so now, having reached this point, he... Uh, begins to talk about some of the implications of what he has experienced. All right, so we go to verse 6. Al zot palel kol chaside leka le'et metzo rak l'shetef maim rabim elav lo yagiu. On account of this, why is this uh, feminine? Anyone know? Abstract thought. Good. It, notice it's referring back to something abstract, namely um, his whole experience that is just, just recounted in verses 3, 4, and 5. So on account of this, now notice 
because of how I'm translating and interpreting, I'm, I give this prefixed verb, yitpalel, a kind of exhortative force. Let pray. All right? And notice that this is just a hitpael from pala, of the root palal. Right? Let kol chasid. Let every chasid pray to you. Or maybe he's expressing a wish. May every chasid pray to you. Um, chasid, now how are you going to gloss that? See, sometimes people translate it as a pious one or a devoted one, a faithful one. See, notice you can see the other root chesed in it. Um, and uh, it's usually, you know, obviously it refers to someone who is in this particular relationship with God. Um, so may every chassid, devoted one, will say, um, some translate it even as righteous one, pray to you. Now notice we have a real difficulty. This is probably the most difficult part of the psalm. Let eight, at the time of metzo. <clears throat> what is metzo? To find. To find, good. And notice the grammatical form is an infinitive, metzo. So it's, kind of, it's literally at the time of finding. All right, now you have what causes the difficulty, and I think if you even look at the footnote that's attached to it, there are a number of, if you look under 6AA and then B, uh, a number of suggestions for emendation. The Septuagint has different reading, and they're suggesting stuff. Uh, but if we just go with the Masoretic text, rock kind of just stands there, and you, you're not quite sure what to do with it. So it's at the time of finding, now rock means only, all right, or alone, but it can also have a kind of emphatic nuance, surely, all right. So some, some translations uh, put it with the former group, with the uh, eight mezzo, so let every pious one pray to you um, while he may be found something like that. You have to translate idiomatically. But notice what the Masoretes do. You get, you're, we're getting real technical here. But see the accent uh, around mezzo? You see that little carrot deal above the mem and then the little slash under the zadi? That's called the Olev Vet Yoreid. Olev Vet Yoreid. And it is actually, in poetry, a major disjunctive accent. Uh, second to Natnach. All right, so it's kind of almost on an equal level with the Atnach. Now, you will notice that um, usually the poetic lines are divided by Atnachs, and the editors put a nice space there. But notice this line, there's a little difficulty with where you divide the line. All right? But if you go, what the Masoretes seem to be saying is that this poetic line is a long one, all right? but it ends at Metzo. Now, I only bring this up because the Masoretes tend to have more... A lot of times they overlap, but in comparison with modern scholars, Masoretes tend to have more longer, un, more uneven lines. So they're not as bothered by long lines, short lines. Notice the prejudice in more modern uh, scholars is to have more even lines. All right, so a lot of times you will see them excising a word or misplacing a word for reasons of the measure. Um, and sometimes you will see the editor of this text differ from the Masoretes 
by putting a space more in between words. So here, notice there's a space between yitpalel and kol in this line. Because I think that what the editors are suggesting is that you divide this line into three small but more even kola. But the Masoretes seem to be saying, no, this is one long line that ends at mezzo. All right? Now, you know, there's going to be debates about this, but I just want to point that out. So if you read it like the Masoretes, on account of this, let every pious man pray to you at the time of finding. Now, what does that mean, at the time of finding? Well, one thing you can do with it is see a connection with this with um, the Isaiah 55 passage. Pray to him at the time he may be found or allows himself to be found. And that's, uh, I think, a good translation or a good understanding of this passage so that the subject is kind of the unexpressed Yahweh. And so a lot of translations will translate it in a, uh, in a more uh, passive sense. Um, as we, in, you know, Hebrew tends to, when there's kind of an unexpressed subject or an impersonal subject, um, to use a not a passive form. So you can translate on account of this, let every pious one pray, pray to you at the time he can be found. Something like that. So you notice you have to kind of, of um, figure out who the subject is and what the action is and what the situation is. And then you can move rock uh, to the next line, connect it with the next line. So what you have here is an example of uh, hippolage is what they call the line is kind of misplaced. So rock then would have its uh, more adverbial surely sense. Surely, lashetet maim rabim. Surely, at a, the flood, at a flood of many waters. Pause. To him, lo yagiu, they will not reach. The root of yagiu is from naga. From, it's a hiphil imperfect means to touch. And, of course, the subject then is the many waters. So on account of this, let every righteous man pray to you right, um, at the time you can be found, or I'm not quite sure how to negotiate that. Surely at the flood of many waters, to him, namely to the Hasid, they will not reach. Does that make sense? See, we've kind of negotiated our way through a pretty difficult verse um, because you're not quite sure how to divide the line and how even words that have common glosses, okay, but there's a lot more entailed that's not expressed as very often happens in poetry. Does anyone have any questions on verse 6? Hmm. It's equally cloudy to everybody. Right? Mm-hmm. All right. Now notice where he moves in verse 7. Ata seter li mitzar tits reini. You, again notice the pronoun, you, and then notice the line indicates kind of a little pause or a little separation. That's what that uh, indicates. The you, a seter to me, uh, a hiding place. Notice from satar to hide. So you, a hiding place to me, mit tsar, from tsar, from distress. Alright. Um, rainy. Uh, what's the root? Can anyone see it? Not Tsar. Good. You guard me. You protect me. Call him perfect. So you are a hiding place to me. From Tsar, from distress, you keep me. All right. Uh, again, here we have some interesting syntax. Rane palate. Pause. Um, 
This is from the noun ron, which means a cry. Uh, you guys are familiar with the root ranan, to give a ringing cry or to cry out loud. So this is a plural construct. Cries of palate. See that form? It's from the root palat. What the conjugation is it? Anyone see? It is a pl to deliver. All right, and and uh, uh, we're going to parse it as an infinitive. Okay, a pl infinitive. Um, cries of palate. Cries of deliverance. Okay. Teso veveni, that's from su, but it's a polel imperfect. We've seen that before. It means to surround. You surround me. So you are a hiding place for me. From distress, you keep me. Cries of deliverance, you surround me. So notice again, as is common in Hebrew, we saw it in both prose and poetry, um, a phrase like rane palate in English, you'd have to add a preposition with. with. So again, you can have an instrumental sense or a sense like this in Hebrew without a preposition. And you're trying to figure out how it fits with the rest of the words. So with cries of deliverance, you surround me. That seems like so. a strange place to put the eye on. Yeah, it does. See, again, you're getting the Masoretes division, which again, differs, I think, from what the uh, editors are suggesting. The editors like short, and modern guys like short, even, cold. Masoretes, the, my uh, Hebrew guy at Hebrew Union said, the itkus is doggerel, which means, I never knew what that meant for about three years. <laughs> the poetic line is uneven. All right. So you are a hiding place for me. From trouble you keep me. That's where the uh, Masoretes seem to be breaking. See, you got the Olev uh, Yoreid there. Okay, cries of deliverance. It stops there. Maybe it's for dramatic. You surround me, but it is very strange. Yeah. And that's why the editors and we have trouble with it. In English, they usually link cries of deliverance with you surround me. Right? Yeah. You surround me with, with cries of deliverance. Right. With cries of deliverance, you surround me. Exactly. So you're right. In um, 7b, um, yeah, see, notice, well, there's no evidence. They don't suggest dividing it any other place. But it is a strange, a strange way that the Masoretes divide it from our way of thinking. Okay? But by doing it this way, notice what's, you have that Rene Palate really highlighted. I mean, it really stands out. <laughs> okay? Uh, any other questions on verse 7? Okay, verse 8. As ki laka the oraka baderek zu lake. Now here, notice you have an interesting change of speakers. This is a, a, a hifil from sakal. Remember, sakal means to be wise or prudent. This is a hifil, so notice it becomes kind of a factative. Um, I will make you wise. All right, the oraka. Notice the root is from Yara, to teach or to instruct, and I will instruct you in the way, Zu is a poetic, uh, like Asher, I will instruct you in the way which, Telek, you should walk from Halak. So once again, I will make you wise, and I will instruct you in the way which you should walk. Alright, now who's talking? Seems to be Yahweh. See, notice how you kind of switch speakers here. Um, Iatsa Aleka Eni. 
I will counsel you. This is from Ya'atz. Right? And notice there's a hey at the end, and again you have this, it's a, co- it's a, a cohortative form. Uh, remember, those hey's don't always indicate cohortative meaning, but you do have the option. Let me instruct you. Let me counsel you. Um, and you could do, it, do the whole phrase that way, actually. Let me make you wise, or, uh, and let me instruct you in the way which you should go. Let me counsel uh, over you. Aini, here again you have one of those just stuck on words from our perspective, but again it's kind of an adjunct. Um, let me counsel um, with my eye on you. I, I guess that's probably the best way to do it with the aleka um, aini. So again, you're always asking yourself the question. In any text you're reading, how do these words and phrases relate to each other? What's the author's intention? How's the best way to render that in English? That's why translation's differing, why you can have so much fun talking about the little nuances, because we're trying to read the evidence as best we can here. All right? Um, good. Any questions on verse 8? Okay, verse 9. Al tihukasus pered ein havin. Do not be, that's from Haya. Do not be kesus keparet, as horse as ass. Do not be as horse as ass. <laughs> um, so that's where we get that, if it's a Hendiades, do not be as a horse as ass. No. <laughs> <laughs> but it does make sense, doesn't it? Ain <laughs> ahavin. Um, notice the form of havin is from the root bean to understand. Hippiel infinitive. Notice the negative. The negation is ain with non-finite verb forms. You tend to get ain, not all or low. So, do not be as hoarse as ass. There is no understanding. All right? Uh, And so notice again the infinitive I'm bringing out. Remember, infinitives both have verbal qualities and substantive qualities. So I'm translating it right now at least as more of a noun. Um, With Meteg with a bit and resin and bridle um, as edyo as its uh, ornament. But um, oh, what do you call the stuff that you put on horse? All the the gear, the tack. That's it. With bit and bridle as its tack. Edyo live loam is a simple call infinitive construct from balam and laminate purpose in order to um, curb them, and you have to understand them, okay? Not, kerov, here's another infinitive, not to come near to you. Um, again, it's just stuck on there. Probably translate, or else, uh, I'm sorry, bal is a, a poetic neg- negative equal to low. So, so that they will not come near, so that he will not come near to you. See, again, you have to add those words. You're, you're, you're making the connections Explicit, which in Hebrew you can surmise by the context. So do not be as hoarse as ass, in whom there is no understanding. Again, if you're going to add that, remember that's in parentheses. We're understanding that that's referring back to these animals. Okay? With bit, so see, notice, as a result, with bit and bridle, um, as its tack, in order to curb them. Lest, or I'm sorry, so that, so as not to come near to you. See, it's very terse. 
Does that make sense? Okay. Can we can kind of make our way through it okay, but again, it's typical of what you're getting in poetry. Questions through verse 9. Yes? Is that word uh, the is that where we get the Yes, the, <clears throat> the is actually a bridle which slows you down. Uh-huh. See, that's why. Right. So, is it... Oh, it's links words. I'm sorry, which links? So, I guess... I don't quite understand what verse 9 means. means okay, yeah, yeah. Don't be like a horse or nest because they have to have, they have to be restrained by bits and bridles. I think is, so. Is that I think so. See, I think what he, you know, in verse 8, he wants to instruct them in the way that they should go. Yeah, should you can either to, resist it or not. You should be able to return, repent. Yeah, I mean, that's actually a good question. You know, what? how are verses 8 and 9 actually linked? So in verse 8, he expresses, you know, I want to make you wise and instruct you in the way that you should go and counsel you. Um, and now he's kind of saying, don't be stubborn, don't resist. Um, like these guys that have to have all this gear to keep them in check so they don't come near you. Um or is it otherwise they'll come? Or you could have otherwise they'll come. See, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, you're kind of negotiating. You could have otherwise they'll come near you or so that not. Exactly. No, I mean, see, right. See, that's a good question. I mean, how are you going to see the relationship between that last, those last words and the previous? And the translations actually, I'm glad you guys asked that because the translations actually do differ in how to fill that in, how they're understanding the relationship. Exactly. So you're always kind of going to wrestle with that question because you have to look at it also in relation to the whole thought of the passage. That's good. All right, good. Let's finish up here. Rabim Makovim Larasha. Many pains to the wicked. Okay, Makovim is uh, uh, just a, na- a noun. Okay, many pains to the wicked. But to the one who trusts, notice how participle used as a substantive, but to the one who trusts in Yahweh, chesed, chesed, grace, mercy, uh, will surround him from suv, again, again, a poleo. And then plus the uh, suffix third masculine singular. Okay? Now, simchu baranai, rejoice, in Yahweh, vegilu tzadikim, and exalt, O righteous ones. Well, he hits all the big words here at the end. Chesed, um, tzadik, all right. Um, harninu, here's the root that, uh, you know, from the, the noun in verse 7, Ron. Uh, again, this is a hifil imperative. Um, give a ringing cry, harninu, from Ranan. Give a ringing cry, all um, uh, yishreleb, all you who are upright in heart. All the upright ones of heart. So again, notice the movement of the psalm from uh, especially verses 3, 4, and 5 to the consciousness of his sin and what it's doing to him, to forgiveness. And uh, you see that movement now when he's forgiven. Um, This commonly happens. Uh, It seems as if now the message at, at the end of the psalm begins to talk to the rest of the people around him, see, um, as Yahweh himself seems to come through with his voice, I will instruct you in the way you should go. And there's almost kind of a little wisdom genre in there. It's, 
you know, a little. It's interesting in a kind of a psalm like this that you get that all of a sudden you're in a kind of a wisdom genre kind of thing. So he's instructing now, um, going to exhortation and admon and you know warning in verse nine. Don't be like this. Um, and now verse ten. Look what happens if you kind of resist and you get yourself in the category of rasha versus tzaddik. So you're using these categories all of a sudden. It's really interesting. Um, so, uh, we will. Good. Any questions on the song? Okay, we'll stop here. We actually, I think we go to 51 next, which is a biggie, which will take us a few times. But, uh, it should be fun. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you.